Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Mixed martial arts and boxing fans, it's time for Fighters Fury Inside the Heart of a Champion with your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighters Fury on AM790 The Ticket. Welcome on in, everybody. Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket. It's Tobin here with you. We've got a lot to get to. This was a busy ass week. In UFC, in boxing, so let's get right to it. Last night was UFC 227, uh, which was a little lackluster until we got to the co-main and main events, uh, which is a lot of what everybody said, that this was going to be uh, a a two-horse race. And um, the main events, the co-main events, both championship fights, both had really, really just, just highlighted nights of what they were able to do last night. First of all, we have a new flyweight champion, Henry Cejudo, dethrones Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Unbelievably impressive. A super, super close fight. And, you know, it's amazing to know that in this entire run that DJ's been on, how long it's been since he's been in something that close. I mean, we're talking in the realm of six years that he's even had a fight that competitive. A lot of people thought that he ended up winning that fight last night. I thought they got the nod right. I thought uh, I thought Cejudo did deserve the win yesterday, but just talk, just just thinking about that kind of a run that the guy's been on. I know that all these things have been kicked on Mighty Mouse. Nobody cares about the division. The guy's not a draw. The guy fights boring. I think he's debunked a lot of that stuff. I think he's charismatic. I think he's smart. I think he's entertaining. And in a weird way, I think that the run coming to an end will almost help people appreciate him more whenever he does get back in there whoever it is against uh, Henry Cejudo you gotta you gotta just take your hat off to the kind of improvement that he made I mean we're talking such a stark difference in the guy who was there two years ago who Demetrius dismantled just absolutely dismantled and to see that he was able to bounce back like that is very very impressive but Mighty Mouse has beaten everybody, and and until Henry Cejudo basically beaten them twice, he has he has had such an impressive reign to to come to the ring with that kind of preparedness, that kind of professionalism every single night that you're called upon, night in, night out, is is incredible. And there's a, there's a part of me that feels a little bad for for DJ because of you know the whole thing that was surrounded. This idea that he should welcome in TJ Dillashaw to fight a flyweight. And that would be the super fight that got everybody amped for Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. And I'm just like, man, it just, that fight to me never gravitated. I was just like, I don't care if TJ Dillashaw can cut weight and maybe go beat Mighty Mouse Johnson. I'd be into Mighty Mouse Johnson going up to 135 and prove that he could beat TJ Dillashaw there. But I'm not. I'm not in this realm where I don't know what it is, but I just find it different. A guy going down in weight class to go beat a 5'3 flyweight than I do a 5'3 flyweight going up in weight 
to go beat a, a, a standing champion at a higher weight class. It's just, to me, there's something that's a bit different. It's like with Deontay Wilder. We'll get to him in a little bit uh, and, and his week. But he was talking about, well, maybe I'll go down to cruiserweight if I can't get any. It's like, ah, I don't care about the reigning heavyweight champion of the world going down to cruiserweight. You're the baddest man on the planet. So either way, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, I almost feel like this loss will help people appreciate it more. He absolutely deserves a rematch. Um, you know, this talk of Henry Cejudo going up to fight TJ Dillashaw and that should be the next fight, I think is ridiculous. Uh, I think you have contenders in 135 who definitely deserve to fight TJ Dillashaw more. Uh, I still want to see the Dominic Cruz fight and close the book on that. See if TJ can make it more conclusive than the last time these guys fought. And with with Henry, look, if 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 we're gonna have Mighty Mouse out for a while, I know he he talked about he has some knee injuries, so he may be out for a little bit. You know, defend your throne. I mean, it's been a while since there has been a a, a new opportunity at flyweight. I don't think it's prudent to go have Cejudo go and fight TJ Dillashaw when you finally have opportunity open up in the 125 pound division. It doesn't make sense. I don't think it's a big fight. I don't think it's a fight many people will care that much about. Uh, it's a good fight, but I just think that there is honor in defending your throne. And Henry Cejudo just got the throne from the ultimate king. I mean, that guy took on all comers whenever they put him, whenever they put a contender they, from from young hungry lions to old time. Uh, veterans to longtime rivals to they were just giving guys off reality shows like hey mighty mouse let's try this winner of the ultimate fighter they fight you he almost he almost got beaten that fight and he found a way to go win um you know so to me i think for a little bit i think it's on henry cejudo to defend that belt against 125 pounder whether it's against a joseph benavidez whatever it is against a sergio pettis or ray borger whoever is able to step up now if Mighty Mouse is able to go, if this injury isn't terrible and he's able to get back in there in a, in a decent amount of time, Mighty Mouse deserves to get in there right away. Right away. There, there's there's no debate about this. The longest reigning champion. I mean, come on. And, and let's not forget, this isn't like one of those things where, you know, Yoana uh, gets beat bad and she gets the shot or uh, Stipe gets beat bad by by Daniel Cormier. He deserves a shot. And and I thought they were right in giving both Joanna and, you know, should give Stipe a rematch with, with DC at one point. But this is different. This is a rubber match. And in in some ways, it's a lot like Connor Nate. I mean, Demetrius in this series is the one who has the definitive win. And Cejudo has the super close win. I think he got the win, but it is debatable. And I think the same thing can be said in the uh, the Nate Diaz Connor trilogy, where Nate's the one who has the huge win. He has the dominant exclamation point, choking Connor out. And then the second fight, I think they got it right. I think Connor won that fight clearly three two, but it is arguable. You can you you there there is an argument to be made that Nate won that fight, which is why many people think there should be a trilogy. And I don't know if we'll ever get it. And again, we'll get to. Connor and Nate in a little bit. I just want to finish recapping what went down last night. So that was our flyweight fight last night. Props to Henry Cejudo and ultimate props to Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. It was an unbelievable, unbelievable reign from a great champion. 
Last night, we also had the bantamweight title decided. Cody Garbrandt was going to try and get his belt back from TJ Dillashaw. TJ beat him in round two the last time these guys fought. And this one, much like the first one, an absolute barn burner where Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw got into these crazy striking scrambles. And you could see that Cody wanted to try and be a little bit more patient this time around. He wanted to try and temper himself. But as soon as he clipped TJ, he walked right into another an, another shot, and it really changed the fight. And that speaks to TJ Dillashaw and the kind of guy he is in, in chaos. He is a crazy versatile striker. He brings a lot, a lot, a lot to the cage as far as, as the toolbox is concerned. He's got a lot of weapons in that arsenal. And you know what's crazy about TJ Dillashaw? You know, thinking about last night in the discussion is is he the best one in 35 or of all time um you know we still got some simmering i think to do on that i mean i think dominic cruz if he's able to get another fight and beat him that argument still lies for for dom but you think about the run that tj's been on and this was a guy who when he won his belt from head and Barrow, i believe tj dillashaw was the longest underdog to win a title in UFC history until Holly Holm beat Ronda Rousey. So it's pretty crazy that this guy thought of as having no shot against Hennon Burrell years ago is now looked upon as maybe the greatest bantamweight of all time. It's pretty crazy. And, you know, he was talking last night that he thinks he's he has ruined Cody Garbrandt's career at 135 pounds. And look, Cody clearly has a blind spot when it comes to fighting TJ. That TJ, he looks like that matchup. Um, if, if Cody's going to go and fight that way every single time, it feels like he's going to go fall into the same trap. Uh, can he be the Cody Garbrandt that fought Dominic Cruz so calculated, you know, literally dancing in the ring on a guy who everybody thought was going to be so much of a, of, a, of a savvy veteran had too many tricks, had too many, had too much experience to fight a 25 year old at that point. And, and I think what wow to saw with Cody Garbrandt is how calculated he was, how, how cool and collected he was and really just put on a clinical beating of an all time great and dominant Cruz. But when he gets into this matchup with, with TJ, you know, he's he's got all this background behind him of of the team alpha male thing, which God, I'm tired. I'm tired of that story. I'm, I'm you know, I'm just I'm done with it. It's I, I really hope it's just put to bed now for good. That's the one thing we can hope for with this rivalry coming to an end. Um, But it's clear that he did. It's it wasn't enough for him to just go beat TJ. He wanted to embarrass TJ Dillashaw because he felt embarrassed the way he lost the last time. And I felt that was, that's the big blind spot when it comes to this rivalry. You know, it's a little bit like Rose and, 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 Joanna. Like, I don't know if Joanna is ever going to really find that missing key to beat Rose Namajunas because she doesn't have this acceptance in her mind of this, this lady has something figured out of me. I got to figure out a new path. And, I, I think Cody was trying that. There definitely was a a, a a a slower pace, throwing out more kicks in that fight. But when it really came down to that chaotic whirlwind 
um, he he wasn't he he was he was looking for the kill, but he wasn't realizing what he was walking into. So for him, he was 27 years old, super young. Um, at this point, when you lose two to the champion, do they think about starting to look in other directions or look at other weight classes? I don't know. I mean, let's say that TJ Dillashaw goes out and he loses to Dominic Cruz, and Dominic Cruz is a champion again. You know, then things open up for for Cody Garbrandt. But I do think that he is in a spot right now where you lose this way in the title fight twice. You probably have to win a couple fights before you're back in the title picture again. You know, I don't – you got Marlon Marais rising up. Jimmy Rivera just got um, – you know, he just slipped up a little bit, but until then was was cruising up. You know, John Lineker took a pretty bad beating to TJ Dillashaw. I can't imagine he's going to get a title shot anytime soon. So I would say most likely it's going to be Dominic Cruz. Rafael Sunsau keeps winning fights. TJ did beat – they're one and one. Um, TJ did beat him at UFC 200 on the undercard. Uh, not the most exciting fighter in the world, so that's always going to hurt. Uh, Rafael in those cases but definitely is not is not very far out of the picture and and Marais is the one who's really coming on for it so there's a lot of contenders there and I do think that TJ has some uh, I do think Cody excuse me has work to do before he's really in that in that picture so that was your little recap of the two title fights last night at UFC 227 of course this week a monster monster announcement happened with the UFC the Mac the Mac is back Conor McGregor, we have his return date. We have his opponent. It's Khabib Nurmagomedov. It's going down October 6th, UFC 229. Let's talk about it next. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Welcome back, everybody. Fighters Fury rolls on here on this Sunday morning. You can text the show 67974. It says Tobin two things. Looks like Kovalev has an uphill climb after that KO, leading the fight, but caught pretty badly. And second, is Amber really that sensitive? I don't really know what the Amber thing is referring to, other than if it's uh, me boxing her in when it comes to any argument ever. Um, but if you could clarify that one, I'd appreciate that, and I could probably give a better response on that. As far as Kovalev last night losing to Elidar uh, Alvarez, yeah, that was, that was a bad beating, man. That was a really bad beating. Uh, put down three times. You, you know, could argue it, was probably, it probably went a little bit too far. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a tough spot for Kovalev, a, a guy who, look, he's, he's the crusher, man. Like, it, Kovalev is, is intimidation personified, that, that punching power. Nobody wanted to get into the ring with that. And, you know, after his... His couple fights with Andre Ward, one, a lot of people thought he got jobbed, two, you know, people questioned with the low blows. I thought that he was losing that fight anyway. I was in the building for that fight, and you could see how that thing was turning. I didn't think that, even if you were to deduct points on Andre Ward in that fight, I think that Andre Ward was cruising his way to a win that night. So, yeah, I mean, Sergey's got a long way to go. I don't really know where he goes from here uh, because that was a thin division as it is I mean does he go and, and rematch Alvarez I mean he's certainly he's got the name value in that division um you know I think people were wondering if if he'd get eventually a, a matchup with Dimitri Vivo who looks like an absolute monster and continues to impress every time he's out there but you know Kovalev this is uh when you lose that way and and you are the guy who goes into the ring with intimidation factor you are the guy who has basically the touch of death and now it doesn't seem that way 
very much anymore. You you lose a little bit of that boogeyman mentality. Um, it, it does take, I think, some reshaping. And, and he's had some messed up scenarios with his camps and whatnot and getting all that stuff settled. So I definitely think there's a little bit of regrouping that has to happen on, on Kovalev's standpoint. But he's still a monster. Uh, it's not like the career's... I don't think he's he's done by any means. But I do think that this is a a, a time where he's going to have to recalibrate and, and, and think some things out on, on what he wants to do. We'll get back to boxing in a second. Let's get to the main thing here, man. Conor McGregor, back in the UFC, October 6th, UFC 229 for the lightweight championship against Khabib Nurmagomedov. Unbelievable, man. I'm so excited this fight happened. Now, there's a couple things, all right? I want to message out there for the party poopers, all right? Everybody out there, I saw this today, this, this week on ESPN, the UFC sold its soul letting Conor McGregor fight for the title after the bust incident. First of all, you guys had to know this was coming. I mean, honestly, like Dana White had his 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 fit when it happened, calling it the most disgusting act ever in the history of the UFC, which is, you know, debatable. But when you started realizing, when he was going on show after show after show, and he was telling you the UFC wasn't going to punish Conor McGregor, then you had to realize this was going to happen. Remember, the UFC is not a league. It's not It's not a thing that has things that are collectively bargained. And a lot of the times, that is very, very advantageous for the promoters, not the fighters. The fighters get screwed a lot. They get screwed a lot. But in cases like this, in the rarities, where you have a superstar like Conor McGregor, who doesn't really need the promotion, seemingly has enough money in the bank to go without fighting, then he's in a position of power, and he doesn't really need to heed to what the UFC tells him. And it really doesn't serve the UFC to not have Conor McGregor fight. You know, a lot of the times with guys getting suspended in the NBA... You know, unless we're talking about suspending LeBron James for the season or suspending Kevin Durant for the season, what person could they take away that would really crush business that much? So the the ability to discipline guys doesn't affect business. And I think with the UFC... Them not letting Conor McGregor fight is only bad for them. You know, Conor's right now in a position where he's coming off one of the highest grossing fights of all time. He was number four or number six on the Forbes all-time richest athletes list. You know, I mean, the guy's got some, he's got some cash in the bank. And ultimately, what I think you want is for you guys to also have credibility. And I think it's tough for this lightweight division to move on without Connor being in the mix. So Khabib, champ right now, is never going to get the credit he deserves from the fan base unless he beats Connor. You know, let's not forget, Khabib is holding the belt right now. But he beat Ally Aquinta to get that belt. Okay? And that's not a shot at Ally Aquinta, who I am a big fan of. But in the standing of that division, 
he basically beat a guy on the fringe of the top 10 to get his title. Okay? He didn't go and beat Tony Ferguson. He missed weight. And Conor McGregor lost his belt for inactivity, but at least he beat the reigning guy to get that belt. So I do think this fight is necessary from a couple things. One, there's a clear rivalry and storyline there. Two, you need to restore the lineage in the best division in the UFC. It has to happen. When you have guys like Dustin Poirier, who are 8-1 and over a four-year span and can't sniff a title shot because of the mess that's up top with interim belts, with Khabib, with Connor, that has to be restored. It has to be. And so we can sit here and say, well, what about the punishment for Connor? No, no, no. You have a you want to talk about what's right. You have a you have to restore what's right for every fighter in the 155 pound division. And none of them, if I if I gave any of those guys the belt, if I made Dustin the champion right now, if I made Tony the champion right now, if I made a Khabib, none of them are turning down the fight with Conor McGregor. None of them. They all want to fight him. Nobody wants to see Conor McGregor put on the shelf. They all want the most exposure, the biggest fight, the most eyeballs to give them the most credit. And so when you say, well, the UFC didn't do anything here for Conor McGregor. Hey, man, he's got to go fight Khabib. Like, he's got to get into a cage. He's got to go do his job against a very dangerous opponent. And let's be real about this. The UFC, more than ever, needs Conor McGregor. They do. This has been a very, very rough year for the UFC with main events dropping out, with weight-cutting issues, with your biggest fight in Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic, not even hitting half a million buys on pay-per-view. Ratings are plummeting. They need a shot in the arm. They need Conor McGregor to, to bring life back into this promotion. They're about to enter a new TV deal with ESPN, and... People need to care about this stuff again. And it has been a really, really tough year as far as getting people to just realize, hey, this is the one that mattered. You guys need to tune into this. If it wasn't for Brock Lesnar storming into that cage against Daniel Cormier and Steve Miocic, nobody would even be talking about DDC winning what he doing what he did, as incredible as it was. I mean, in our hardcore little bubble, we all would. Everybody who listens to this show or to you know, Chael Sun's podcast or Ayla Helwani or Fighter and the Kid or who listens to those, you know, niche podcasts, yeah, we will all care. We'll buzz about it because we talk about everything. But to get the the mainstream, to get those hits on SportsCenter, this is the guy. This is, this is your mainstream guy. This is the only connection you really have to the outside sporting world right now is Connor. And the one thing that does drive me nuts about this, and this happens with with fame on fighters when they hit a certain level. And Lord knows, I was guilty of this with Floyd Mayweather. I was. I mean, I was a bit of a hater on Floyd Mayweather um, that I thought he he picked his opponents easily. And, and a lot of that stuff ha- had validity to it, but also it does undercut how great he was. And with Conor, you know, people are like, ah, he doesn't deserve this. It's like, he doesn't? This, guy's, this guy was champion at arguably the two best divisions in the sport. Simultaneous champion. Knocked out Jose Aldo, who's still wrecking top contenders. He's beating the hell out of Eddie Alvarez, 
who nearly beat the number one contender at lightweight last week. Um, this guy goes out there. He fights Nate Diaz at a ridiculous weight and a ridiculous time frame, then goes back, runs it back against a guy who pretty much dominated him, who embarrassed him, and wanted to run that back. I just think that we lose sight of how good Connor is. You know, to think that Dustin Poirier is knocking on the door as a contender at lightweight, what Connor did with him when they were at featherweight is incredible. To think that back in the day when they were debuting on Fox Sports 1, his win on one leg over Max Holloway. Look what Max Holloway is now these days. It He's, he's underappreciated for his in-ring greatness. It really is something that is not getting the proper respect. And so we get to this fight with Khabib, who everybody said he would duck and not want to fight and avoid. He's going in there and fighting him. And I know what everyone's going to say leading into this fight. Oh, Khabib, terrible matchup. Kryptonite for Connor. Takes him down, uh, is going to pummel on him. And that's all she wrote. But, I mean, I feel like we do this every time a big Connor fight comes around, whether it is with Eddie, whether it is with Nate, whether it is with Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez. And the guy, for the most part, finds a way to victory. For the most part, he is walking out of that cage with his hand raised, and a lot of the times is walking out of that cage with gold wrapped around his waist. And so... When this Khabib matchup comes up, I understand the danger that Khabib brings. You're talking about a guy who's 26-0, has bludgeoned a lot of his opponents that get in there with him, but I do think we are in a point with, with Khabib where how much do we really know? I mean, as far as elite, elite guys that we know we've seen him in there with, we could say that about what he did to Rafael Dos Anjos, even though RDA wasn't at a championship level. You know, he beat Michael Johnson very, very badly. And Michael Johnson is a fantastic fighter. He's not a championship-level fighter. Edson Barboza, you could probably say, is the most elite guy I'd say that he's beaten over the last five years. And he beat the holy hell out of him. But if we were to talk about do you think Edson Barbosa is in the class of Conor McGregor? I'm giving a hard no to that. He's not. He's not at that level. I think we've seen with Edson, he's very, very good. He's contender level. I don't think he's champion level. And then the Ally Quinta fight, like, that's a gimmick fight. It is. That was a, that was a weird fight under weird circumstances, and he got in there with a guy who he wasn't able to finish, quite frankly. And I understand that's basically a fight on 24 hours' notice. So it went the distance, and he was able to put up a, a basically shutout performance. But it's not like Quinta, man. That guy's not at the level of Conor McGregor. He's not. So when we're talking about this matchup, and you think, well, Khabib's definitely got the style and the key to go to go get it done. I hear you. I see the blueprint. I think we all look at this and say, oh, yeah, we know how Khabib's going to get this done. But I do feel like we go into this fight every time with Conor McGregor thinking, ah, no, nah, no, nah, this is the one where he gets exposed. Because he's got such a big mouth and he doesn't shut the bleep up, 
People are always looking for Conrad to get exposed. And I don't think he goes in there to pretend he's anything he's not. He's not a wizard on the ground. He's not some guy who has a great gas tank. His gas tank, quite frankly, stinks. And his ground game, lacking. But his distance, his speed, his angles, and my God, that left hand, it's the touch of death. And and people go night-night when they touch. I mean, think about the guys that he has just obliterated with that left hand. Tough mother bleepers, all-timers, and he has walked right through them like a hot knife through butter. It's uh, it's very impressive, and I do think that we lose sight of that when a guy becomes as big as Connor, when we focus on all the other stuff, the fairness, the, uh, the, the, the gimmicks, the antics. But if we're just talking about the guy who steps into that cage, let's not lose sight of how good he is. He's tremendous. He's, he's, he, is, he is one of the best on the planet. He's one of the best to ever do it. You know, when we had all these discussions the other day, uh, the other week when DC won the heavyweight championship, we're talking about, oh, goat this, goat that, goat this. Who's the greatest of all time? And this guy never gets mentioned. And I think it's just because, oh, because he lost to Nate Diaz? Is that, is that why? He's not, he's not, a, he's not allowed a, a day. So is, is Demetrius Johnson, like, off the, off the table now? Because he lost to Henry Cejudo last night by decision? Um, it's just weird to me. I mean, I just saw, I've seen Daniel Cormier get mauled by John Jones twice, and I realized that John Jones is probably juiced to the gills, but I'm supposed to just ignore that when it comes to the GOAT situation just because Daniel Cormier has a, has a beer belly? No, man. Conor McGregor is absolutely in the conversation as one of the greatest fighters of all time. And, yeah, you can run up some of the, uh, the other stuff that comes around it with more people caring about watching him fight than any other people, but I do think that also has to count for something. More eyeballs are on this guy fighting than anybody else, which pertains to the world is watching at a different level. People are expecting a different level of greatness every time he steps in there. And the fact that he comes out with his hand raised the majority of the time is so impressive. And I can't wait to see him back in the ring. The the UFC needs this guy back in the octagon. They needed him. They need a shot in the arm. With all that stuff that got announced this week, fantastic that Nate Diaz is back fighting Dustin Poirier. I love that fight. Um, Watching Woodley and Till. Look, I don't think it's the right fight to make. I think that it should be Woodley versus Covington, bar none. It's It's not even a debate to me, but I can't lie. After seeing those guys jaw back and forth, after seeing them do the old standoff and seeing how much bigger Darren Till is and, and wondering how is Woodley going to figure this one out, I'm jonesing for that fight. Can't wait for it. There's a lot of fights that are coming down the pipe that I'm very, very excited about. But the UFC needs fights that the world can get excited about, not just fights that we get excited about as fight fans. They need fights that the fringe mainstream people will just say, I got to go to the bar tonight, McGregor's fighting. And hopefully, that'll lift everybody else up with it. It's needed. We're back after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. All right, welcome back, everybody. Tobin here with you. Fighters Fury rolls on. Very exciting. Shot in the arm needed by the return of McGregor. They did it in such an interesting way, too. So, like, Dana White's doing this press conference, and... uh, 
think it was USA Today was asking him about, uh, it was, it was like, ah, not official yet. And so they're doing the whole press conference, letting everybody get their, their, their shine there. And a couple things go down in this. So in the midst of all these questions getting asked, Nate Diaz is supposed to arrive for his face-off with Dustin Poirier. You know, it's one of those things where they have everybody up there on the, uh, on, on the stage and tons of fighters are all jawing back and forth. This has become a thing for the UFC when they want to, like, they do it by quarter of the year. And so Nate Diaz is super late. He does get there, um, does the face-off with Dustin, answers a couple questions. Um, so as the press conference wraps up, Dana White's like, oh, one more thing, everybody, and shows off the big screen, and then they roll the promo. In the midst of the promo, Nate Diaz walks off, off stage. He's furious. And so it leads everybody to wonder what he is upset about because he tweets out, not fighting on the card now, F the UFC. To which Dustin seemingly jokingly also said, uh, not fighting on that card, F the UFC. And so I do wonder what Nate is upset about. It seems here's what he's upset about. You know, Nate's been out for a while. He mentioned that he was in some lawsuit. That's why he wasn't fighting and the UFC didn't make that clear. There is a weird tension going on right now with him and Dana White, where Dana White's like, you know, he's not even acknowledging that he wanted Nate back. He's like, oh, some dude who works in our office wants the Diaz brothers back. So I said, okay, go work on it. Go work on it, kid. Go get us the Diaz brothers if you want them so bad. And so Nate Diaz is upset for a couple of reasons. I imagine he's upset because, one, he was lied to that Connor wasn't coming back. And, hey, man, you need to just pick a fight. This is a good fight for you. And it is a great fight. I'm very excited for it. Um, I think it's cool that that Poirier, in the midst of not getting a title shot, is getting a high-profile fight like Diaz returning. But it turns out also that he apparently was late for the press conference because the UFC was supposed to take him, and they made him late. So he feels like, oh, people, it, they tried to make it seem like I was doing the Diaz thing where I was late on purpose, but it was actually the UFC's fault. And I just think that he's probably upset with the lack of respect that he's getting from the UFC in that regards, which I get. I mean, it is weird how the UFC is treating a guy like the Diaz brothers. They need any type of buzz around. And and Nate Diaz coming back is definitely buzzworthy, and this is a great fight. And he's fighting at Madison Square Garden, which is very high profile. And I imagine they're going to do everything they can to make that a monster main event whatever it may be so either way um i do think nate's gonna probably end up fighting on that card i think i think cooler heads will prevail there but it is interesting like you know people say well was he upset he wasn't gonna get the connor fight? I, I gotta imagine he knows he wasn't getting the connor fight i think they know that connor they have to establish what is going down at 155 pounds they have to fix all the cluster at lightweight you know, let's let, you know, you got a guy with with Poirier having the record he has. Let's not forget, as soon as Tony Ferguson is is ready to go, he's also deserving of getting a title shot. And, you know, let's say if this Khabib Connor thing does huge business and it's a great epic fight, who's to say they don't do it again? So, uh, you know, <laughs> I think everybody kind of looks at this and say, well, it's going to be a mauling one way or the other. It's either going to be, you know, Connor's going to knock out Khabib or Khabib is going to just destroy Connor for five rounds or beat him into submission but we're also ignoring the possibility that these two 
have an epic clash and they have to run it back. That's also possible. Um, but I, I think that Nate showing up was a cool shot in the arm, but I understand. I mean, that, you know, Nate has been trying to get a, either out of the Connor shadow or getting the Connor fight for a little bit. And the same day that he shows up, oh, Nate, Nate, it's going to be a big deal, man. Everyone's going to be excited to see you. You are the big news there. And then it just gets dumped on by the return of Conor McGregor. Uh, Diaz ain't going to be happy about that. He's not going to be happy about that. But um, it's it's going to be great to have him back regardless. Now, the other big one that was mentioned in this thing was, was Till versus Tyron Woodley. So there's one thing that I just want clarification for with the UFC because I did get swerved a little bit this week. I got mad um, at Dana White because uh, he went to the White House and he took a picture with Donald Trump and put the belt on the desk. This is not a political thing, by the way. I'll explain. Everybody knows the Donald Trump thing is Colby Covington's gimmick. That's his thing. He's pissing people off by saying, you know, bleep the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to go put the belt on the White House. So I thought in the midst of all this that not only is the UFC stripping Colby Covington, but this this Dana White is pulling a bastard move and giving his middle finger to Colby and saying, oh, not only am I taking your belt, I'm going to do what you said you wanted to do. Now, later in the day, after I'm even popping off on this about at social media, I'm like, this is BS. How do you strip? First of all, the guy's belt shouldn't be taken. And not only are you taking his belt, but you're taking his gimmick. Well, it turns out that Kobe Covington did get to go meet the president and uh, and put the belt on uh, on Donald Trump's shoulders. So I just have a couple. The, the thing I'm just left with is just wild confusion. Okay, so if you are going to take the time, if you're Dana White, to take Kobe Covington with the interim belt and take pictures with that belt and Donald Trump. Are you still stripping him? Because, again, the the Kobe Covington, you know, being MAGA and having people hate his guts because of that storyline and being so pro-Trump and going after the Golden State Warriors and the Philadelphia Eagles, like, Cody's doing that because he wants to get a reaction. And now you have these photos with Donald Trump I I don't understand. So you're only adding to what is going to make him even more marketable. Are you still stripping him? Like, I'm very confused with what they want to do here with the welterweight title. Because, all right, cool. Dana White said he, did, he, he, said he was going to take Kobe to the White House, and he did. But yet you're still mad at him enough to say, nah, man, you had to fight in September. So, I'm just wondering, so is Kobe not getting stripped? And is he going to end up getting to defend? I guess defend's a weird term. Is he going to get a chance to unify the interim and undisputed championship with whatever happens here with the Till Woodley fight? I'm just very, very flabbergasted by where things stand with this. Because I find it strange that you would bring your interim champion to go meet the president and yet he's not going to be pres- he's not going to be champion in a matter of weeks. It's weird to me. 
So I don't know. I don't know where things stand with this. Um, but I did get swerved by that this week by by Colby and Dana doing that. And I'm also just left a little bit more confounded, like, all right, so if he's taking pictures with the president as the champion, um, are you are you still keeping him champion or interim champion? I don't know. It's strange to me. Anyway, so that was um that was one thing that I just found weird this week. Now, before we uh we wrap up with the UFC here, um I just want to, yeah, it's gonna be weird because we have a little bit of a break coming up. We have up until August twenty fifth, when it's Justin Gaethje, James Vick, there's no UFC. So we're gonna be in a little bit of a, a, a dry spell here for a little bit. There are some cool stuff that's uh that's coming up locally which was cool this was all announced this week on social media the heavyweight factory they announced on their social media page that they're doing another fight card at the hard rock september 28th at the hard rock hotel and casino so they'll be doing another card they've been doing a great job with those uh with those fights um you have announced by a t promotions that they are going to be doing an event at the at west palm beach they are going to be doing a brawl at the beach, which is going to feature our guy Tyron Spong, which is cool. Uh, big fan of Tyron Spong as he continues to build up that heavyweight record. He's 11-0. And so they got an event coming up in West Palm on the 31st at the end of the month. So you guys can look for that. And then September 1st, that same weekend. So I guess 31st is a Friday. The 1st is a Saturday. There's a uh, there's a boxing card going down at the Coconut Creek Seminole Casino um, right there on 441. And our, our guy, Dia Davis, is going to be fighting on that card as well. He's going to be in the co-main event. So just some things to look out for if you guys are looking for some local fight action. Um, that is uh, that is some of the boxing, some sweet science stuff that's going down. Uh, A&T Promotions, Tyron Spong's going to be fighting Heavyweight Factory at the end of September. And then at the beginning of September... Uh, you got Dia Davis fighting on the Battle at the Creek card at Seminole Casino, Coconut Creek. So if you guys are looking for some local action, check that stuff out as well. And uh, if I missed anything, you guys can always hit me up at Twitter, at Brendan underscore Tobin, or at 790 the ticket or at the Ticket Miami, or at Brendan underscore Tobin on Instagram, all that stuff. You guys, you'll find me. Uh, if, you have any, if you know of any events that are coming up locally, feel free to hit me up. And uh, happy to mention them on the show to let our fans know as well. Now, boxing-wise, before we get out of here, a little bit of a wrinkle that was put into this week. So, it looks like Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder are going to fight. Now, it seems like both of them will have a fight before they plan to fight in December. But Tyson Fury came out this week. He's got his upcoming matchup, I think the 18th, where it's going to be his second return fight. But it seems like that's going to be the end of the comeback as far as, um, you know, just, just fluffer fights. These, this is, this is going to be, he's going to head, head on right into it with the Deontay Wilder fight. And I got to say, by both sides, I think it's a good move. And especially for Wilder, I really do think, you know, Wilder gets this win. And I, I even see that there's some talk about this being for the Ring Magazine Heavyweight Championship. Now, let's not forget, Tyson Fury was the lineal champion. 
had some stuff personally that, you know, messed him up. But never lost the belts in the ring. You know, lost the belt by acting a fool and also dealing with some personal stuff, but never lost it in the ring. And so if you're going to look now at these guys' resume, you know, Deontay for a long time, I think everybody looked at him and said, wow, who's he fought? Who's he really beaten? But now he's starting to put these wins in the bank, and he's going to have that fight against Luis Ortiz, who still just looks like an absolute monster. And now he's going to try and go get a win against Tyson Fury. And if Deontay Wilder beats Tyson Fury, who was lineal champ, even if he is coming back and he looks the way he looks, you know, everybody's going to shortchange Tyson Fury because of the way he looks. Like, let's not forget, when Tyson Fury won the championship from Vladimir Klitschko, it was a shock to a lot of people. Not, not many people thought that Tyson Fury was going to beat the longstanding champion of Vladimir Klitschko. I certainly didn't. And everybody thought it was very weird the way Klitschko fought that fight. It wasn't the same guy who fought uh, Anthony Joshua. But neither, but nevertheless, at that point, Vladimir Klitschko was the unbeaten, not the unbeaten monster, but he was the he was he was the the long reigning heavyweight champion monster, and uh, you know we never really got to see Tyson cash in on that. Never really got to see what was going to come from champion Tyson Fury, and both of these guys. You know, if you were to look at the heavyweight division, who are the most prominent names? It's definitely Joshua Wilder and Fury. And we've been waiting now. I told this is what this is what I mentioned. I didn't think Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder had the clout to put off that fight for as long as they think they do. They're not the stars that Pacquiao and Mayweather were, where they would get away with that. And I just think that this fight with Deontay Wilder. If he gets this win against Tyson Fury, I do think that you have to call him lineal heavyweight champion. I really do. Um, the fact that you would look at Anthony Joshua's fights and, yeah, he'd have a win over Joe Parker and, you know, he'd have that win over Klitschko after Klitschko lost to Tyson Fury. You know, but we've been waiting for these guys to clash and unify the belts, and it feels like Anthony Joshua has been satisfied with just cashing in across the pond and fine I mean good for you but ultimately I need to know who heavyweight champion is and right now to me it seems like Deontay Wilder is the one taking tougher challenges than Anthony Joshua in all respect to Alexander Povetkin but I just feel that way one guy he's taking on a guy in Alexander Povetkin who is 50-50 to show up on fight night and in Tyson Fury though he's coming back off a, a off a layoff and hasn't been in there with real competition in a couple of years he still was lineal heavyweight champion of the world, and that has to mean something if Deontay Wilder is able to beat him. And it's a good move by both of them to give a little bit of a middle finger to Anthony Joshua and saying, all right, you want to just hold that belt hostage and you want to hold that collection hostage? Well, we're going to do something. This is this is a fan's fight. Uh, I hope it still goes down. I hope that the, there's nothing that trips this up and, and makes it from not happening. But if it does go down... That is a fun fight for boxing fans and and one they have been waiting for for a long time. So pretty awesome. And hopefully we'll get that one in December. Everybody have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll talk to you next week. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. 
Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.